and now remain standing for a reading of God's Word. Beloved, now please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Our text will be verses 37, 38, and 39. Matthew 23, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you're visiting, uh, just understand that we want to teach you and lead you into the whole counsel of God, all of the teaching that Jesus gave his disciples when he was in his days in his flesh, he asked that they would carry that teaching into all the parts of the world. And uh, we were to be teaching that in the name of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and baptizing. And uh, knowing that the Lord, he is our helper, he will always be with us to the end of the age. And this is why we do what we do. We, we pick a book of the Bible and we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, even though we're in a, a difficult place here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the passage just before us had uh, some very, very, very hard words uh, coming from the lips of, of the blessed Savior, who is the most meek man ever to have lived. But we handle them by God's help. And today we have a, a passage that is difficult uh, because we understand, we understand things as we see them as finite human beings. We cannot understand how God can have a heart to sinners and seek their salvation and seek their good. And he is a brooding hen here in this passage. Uh, but then he at the same time will uphold his justice, his holiness. These things are transcendently and infinitely difficult for us. So we pray that the Lord would help us. And let's pray again as we read our text. I'll read from Matthew 23, beginning with, with, with verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house has left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thus far reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. And now, Lord, do, do once again send forth your light, and may it be, Lord, uh, a steady path to know your will, to know your very heart, and that we might please you in all that we are to believe concerning you and all that we are to receive and obey. And do it for your own good name's sake, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our text here teaches us that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's not his good pleasure. God takes no pleasure in seeing wicked people die, and then neither does Jesus. Nevertheless, without faith in Messiah Jesus and repentance, no one will be saved. The Jews then will remain devastated and apart from God until they welcome Messiah Jesus with their hosannas. Let me just say this once again. God takes no pleasure in the death of, his, of the wicked, and neither does Jesus. 
Nevertheless, without faith in Jesus, their Christ, their Messiah, and repentance with, you know, no one will be saved. They will all perish. The Jews, however, will remain devastated and apart from God until they welcome their Messiah, Jesus, that is to say, the same way the, the town and the children and even infants welcome Jesus mounted on the cult, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the welcome that we, that's the welcome that every heart needs to uh, say sincerely uh, to be saved. We'll see this uh, proposition in three points. First of all, we see that Jesus' desire, his earnest desire, his, his zeal is for the salvation of Jerusalem. And of course, Jerusalem st- stood for the whole nation, being the capital city uh, of Judah and uh, the very emblem of God's uh, presence in Zion, God's covenant people. Jesus deeply laments Jerusalem's coming destruction. You mustn't think uh, by the ferocity of Jesus' previous discourse here. Now, he's still in the tail end of the discourse. This is the, the, the end of this fifth discourse. And uh, the, the words are, are scathing. They are not rebukes. They are announcements of condemnation. You mustn't think because he's, he was so very strident there that he doesn't care at all, that he's so angry that he's just turned his back. That's not true. But you know that as well as I do. Uh, mothers and fathers, you, you can become very angry with your children, not to the point of wanting their damnation, surely, but anger, it doesn't necessarily show an absence of love, nor an absence of tenderness. And here Jesus shows us his very heart, a heart full of tenderness. But Jesus deeply laments that Jerusalem's uh, destruction is sure. The word woe uh, does suggest an imminent destruction, and a certain one. And because of her rejection, of the only Savior of all the world. There's only one Savior. We all sinned in Adam and died as a race. There's only one blood of mankind. And we all died in Adam. But in Christ, all are resurrected, all are given life. And that Christ is Jesus. But the Jews, the leaders representing the nation, have rejected their Messiah. And uh, they are going to be dealt with because of their rejection. They rejected Messiah, and so they would not enter Messiah's kingdom. And that's what Jesus comes, came to do in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God in himself, the king. How was that to be done? Well, Jesus and his disciples and those he commissioned on the various uh, evangelism trips uh, and uh, everywhere he went in his ministry, he wanted to gather her children. He, he wanted to bring them together into the, to the kingdom of God. They were dispersed all throughout the families of Judah and Galilee, the, uttermost, the other parts of, uh, of Palestine. He was, he was, by his preaching, wanted them not merely to believe and to receive the benefits of his good teaching and grace, but he wanted to bring them into the kingdom, to bring them into himself. In fact, the, the picture here is of a brooding hen protecting her chicks. Her chicks are exposed. 
These chicks are exposed to, to the rain, to the lightnings, to, uh, to predators, to, to dangers of all sorts. They get lost. They don't know how to feed. They fall to malnutrition and weakness, but he would gather them and protect them and, get, and grant them life. And my friends, when Jesus here says, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood, uh, this is a, a warm, warm uh, invitation for us to consider the intent, not only of Jesus, but of every prophet. No, some of the prophets we read in the Old Testament, uh, they could be a rough bunch. Uh, even John the Baptist would, uh, appeared to be uh, a, a pretty frightening, intimidating figure, you know, a camel hair and uh, leather, boot, leather boots and all this stuff, and he's living in, in extreme conditions and eating locusts and wild honey. What sort of a man can this be? No, but they are loving in the sense that they all had the intention, all the prophets of old, even when they were severely scolding God's people, all had the same heart to bring them, to gather them, uh, into the kingdom of God for their protection and for their security. Now, this passion, this desire, this is God's will. God's will by command, and that, that will that we can study in the Scripture and that we are responsible for, is the commandment to hear this and say, uh, the Lord wants me to believe what the prophets are saying, that what the Lord wants me to believe all that Jesus is teaching. And he wants me to repent. And if I do this, then the Lord will be pleased and I'll be gathered into his kingdom. But if I don't, if I don't hear the word, if I don't hear his, uh, his law, if I don't hear the threats of the, pen of the penalties attached with breaking the law and having no means to pay, okay, if, if I don't hear that, I will, certainly, I will certainly die in my sin. I will perish eternally. And so we must believe in and the Lamb of God that was sent to, to forgive and to cleanse the world and to pay the debt of sin, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and repent from our own ways and turn to God. That is the cry of every prophet. That was the, the cry of the greatest prophets of Jesus and John the Baptist and of the Lord himself. Believe, repent, or perish, perish everlastingly in your sin. And so God himself, God Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all one in this, in this will, the will of precept that is by way of commandment, that they would not see any pleasure in the death and the annihilation and in the punishment of the wicked. Uh, Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And then he is imploring. Ezekiel is imploring. And Jesus is telling the prophet Ezekiel to please implore, saying, turn back, turn back, he repeats, from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you be destroyed? And Jesus being divine, knew God's precept or preceptual will that, that, that he's commanded in Scripture, but 
he also has, because he is the God-man, he has the secret will of God because he is the second person of the Trinity, the Christ of God, the Son of God, being eternally with God, knew that before all ages, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had agreed to save some and also that some would perish. And the day has come where that decree, that secret will, will be made manifest, and as such then it becomes providence. When God's secret will is enacted in time and in space, uh, everyone sees it, it's subject to study and discussion, and that becomes what we say providence. Jerusalem then, that they would reject their Messiah, Jesus knew that all along. And he knew that from eternity, and he agreed with the Father that he would come and be that lamb that would die in the place of sinners. But he also knew that some would not receive Messiah, and he knew that the leaders would not receive Messiah. So Jerusalem would reject their Messiah, and therefore Jerusalem would be cut off. He's, a, he's, a, he's already now a just, uh, uh, he's already now announced the, the judgment. Now God, being the creator, can do as he pleases. He can judge everyone, and he will judge everyone uh, for all sin equitably on the last day, or he can judge any day of the week, any day of the calendar at any time he wants. He can judge some sins. He can judge all sins. He can judge lightly. He can, he can forego his judgment. He can pass over the, the wicked, the sins of the wicked, or he might pass over the, uh, the sins of, the, of the, his saints, or he might visit the sins of his saints. He can do all these things. And in his infinite wisdom, he, would, he has chosen here in Jesus' day that he would visit Jerusalem and he would visit it with judgment. And not only for the sins of this generation, uh, as Jesus announced, but for all the generations of the unrighteous uh, that have ever been, have slain good and holy prophets. That is their maximum sin. Their maximum sin is not merely murder, but rejecting God because God had been speaking through his prophets. That is, that is their sign, that is their final apostasy or falling away, and that is, my friends, why they are, have broken covenant with God. Um, now, are there then two wills? Uh, are there, is, is Jesus confused then? Is, is he wrestling with God's command, his precept, and his secret counsel, and in his uh, emotions and affections? Well, here, regardless of how he arrived at this statement here, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, he has resolved it in, in a way that uh, he can only do. Uh, but he, has, he certainly has made the proclamation and has decided, no, G Jerusalem had completely failed God's uh, revealed will in precepts that are the same commandments. Jerusalem had completely failed. I'll remind you what it was preached, though. They didn't understand the law. They had padded the law through some of the other extra teachings. They certainly had not fulfilled the law, and neither do we. We, we, we fail uh, the commands of God continually. We fail the glory of God. But then they didn't, they didn't receive the only cure for the, for the breach of the law. They didn't receive the, 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 the salvation, the cleansing, the pardoning, the covering blood. They, 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 they rejected the law at the mouth of the prophets. They, they rejected the, 
the gospel at the mouth of the prophets, and they rejected Jesus, who was the, the Savior and the solution for all of this. And so Jesus, and so therefore Jerusalem must now be judged. <clears throat> God determines that. He can do this, and he does as he pleases uh, because he alone is God. Jerusalem must now be judged. It, must, it will be destroyed. And all this was, of course, anticipated before of old because that was the terms of the agreement. God's people could live, for instance, Adam and Eve could live in the garden as long as they had respect to that one, that one commandment, not to eat of the tree. Uh, but when that failed, then they, they, God judged Adam and Eve, and they had to leave the garden. Here, the Jews have utterly failed. But, my friends, you must, you must see that Jesus, that, that man, that, that the man from Nazareth is a man, uh, had a deep love for his brother, brothers in the flesh. Uh, he, he was a man, and all of us who have neighbors, all of us who have family, all of us who have children and friends have a deep love uh, for those all around us, even though they may not be reconciled to God or even know God. Maybe they despise the things of God or they can't understand them and they have no, no taste for these things. It reminds you again here of what Paul says in Romans where his, he speaks to us in truth, his, his deep concern, his, his deep pain of soul and agony is for his kinsmen in the flesh of the Jews who have rejected Messiah. And so if we're Christians, on the one hand, we uphold all that God is in his mercy and his justice. And we have to keep that in a balance as a frame. But we always do wrong in hating our neighbor. The law always says that we should love them and seek their good, for we also are flesh. We, we also are sinners in the sense of if God were to leave us to our sin and judge us according to our ways, we would be as far gone as they, maybe even, maybe even more, because to much uh, whom has been given, much will be asked. And so do you, do you love people in the, in the way that Jesus loved them, in the way that Paul loved them? Having concern, do you love, my friends, the unchurched? Do you have a concern? Do you pray for the unchurched? Do you have any unchurched friends? Uh, this is, this uh, is something of a tendency we all have. The, the more sanctified that we come, the more we like to, of course, necessarily, it's comfortable, it's, it's pleasant to be around all Christians. Well, because they're less sinful, supposedly, yeah. And uh, we speak of pleasant things, right? And God has, in fact, called us together. We're the chicks that were under the, the, the hen's uh, wings. And so there's a time to gather. But there's a time also to go out and ungather and have the concern in the heart of Jesus and Paul and reach out, and especially in prayer. Check your prayer life. It'll be a hint as to whether you love the unchurched. I don't know. We don't make a, a statement as to whether they're saved or not, but they, they just don't have, they seem to have no interest in coming and being gathered. And chicks, of course, they respond to the pecks and the callings of their mothers. Uh, Christians, by and large, will be churched. Are you smug? Are you uncaring in your Calvinism? Has, 
and this is not to blame John Calvin. I mean, this, uh, Geneva had, had many missionaries. The early missionaries uh, from Geneva went to, to, to South America, to what is now Brazil. And uh, I, I'm happy to say that Brazil is one of the most Presbyterian nations in the whole world, almost exceeding that, as, uh, that of, of Korea. But uh, it's not Calvin's fault. It, it, it is, it's a misunderstanding and a loss of balance. We need to see the heart of God and how he cares for the unsaved, even as he has just pronounced seven amazing and strident wo- woes. Jesus also placed his heavenly Father's will above his own, above his own will and desires. Uh, we don't know. We don't know who the Lord will gather to himself. We pray that many will be gathered. The, the charter of the Presbyterian Church in America, according to the Book of Shorter, is to, to gather God's elect and perfecting, for the gathering and the perfecting of God's elect. It is not that we build up churches in great numbers. It is not that we gather people together and put a Ferris wheel out there so we can all, what is that squirrel doing anyway? He's, he's digging a massive hole. Now, never mind, never mind. It, it caught my attention there. We could use that lot and we could put up rides and all that, but that's not what the church is about. The church is about gathering God's people and perfecting them uh, in, the, in the word and in the spirit until the last day. And so there is no compromising. Jesus knows that faith and repentance are necessary. And you must also know that, and you must do no compromising the doctrines of faith in Jesus Christ. Just to be popular, just to have a following, etc. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Faith in Him unto justification, repentance unto life, and the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of His mediation. Jesus' desire then is the salvation of Jerusalem. You should desire the, the salvation of all around you, especially in the church, but neighbors as well, but you must also do so in submission to God's will. It's up to God to save. Thy will be done, Lord. The second point is that the Jews' desire was, not, was at odds with Jesus' desire. The Jews' desire was to rebel and to contradict and to contramand and to, and to get rid of the Messiah. And this is, of course, by their representatives, uh, the representatives of the nation, by their leaders in their capital city, Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, as, as Jesus laments here, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, it was to be the most sacred place of God's dwelling. It was the very house of God. That was his habitation. The temple represented uh, the presence of God, the, the, the peaceful presence of the covenant God, who in his covenant offers peace to all of his people and would grace them with his presence as their king, their protector. Uh, and uh, again, uh, the, the brooding hen is the, is the figure, uh, offering them shade by day, comfort by night. It was the seat, of course, of the 70 elders, uh, that long-standing council, uh, some say it goes back to, to, to Moses and the church in the wilderness, the Sanhedrin. Uh, these were the most schooled. They were the most respected. 
they, they are the most dignified. I, I dare say if, if some of those were in our churches today that people would hold them in the highest esteem as the greatest and the most useful of all Christians. And so by representation, her leaders here rebel. And as the leaders rebel, uh, this, is, uh, this is something that Presbyterians hold as, as the leaders lead, the church follows. Decisions are made by presbyters. This is not a congregational church. The congregants and the members have their votes, but the members are not leaders. And as the decisions go at the, uh, from the session and the presbytery and the, uh, the General Assembly, so go uh, the rest of the members. And submission to leaders uh, is uh, more than just suggested there, but before God, a church, a church is what it is by what it's represented. Now, we're so very happy to announce that before God, the whole of the church is represented by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true because Jesus is the mediator of the covenant of grace, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so ultimately, all who are in Christ as their, their representative will be saved because the nation is represented by Christ. However, however, God's people, as they are gathered outwardly, uh, with outward ceremony, uh, under, even under the law and under the promises uh, of the, uh, uh, that are, are read in the Scripture and that are, that are given by the prophets and that are symbolized by the sacrifices in the temple, the lamb that is slain, even under all of those benefits, they could still uh, remain in their sin because they don't get it. They don't get the purpose of the law to convict sin. They don't get the purpose of the law to teach them the, the way of holiness for those that already know the Lord and are at peace with Him. They don't get the fact that the gospel is for sinners and that they must believe the promises of God and that salvation is of the Lord, holy of the They don't get it. And so, therefore, they will be rejected. They do not have the mediator, Christ Jesus, as the covenant uh, representative. They have Adam because there's only two that can represent you before God. Ultimately, there's Adam, our father, who blew it in the garden and broke covenant by his works. That's the default arrangement that you, if you're not a Christian, have. You say, well, I have a relationship with God. Every creature has a relationship with God. Some have a relationship that is deadly with God because they're under a covenant of works. And God demands payment for all the sins that you've already committed. Plus, he still demands righteousness. And no matter how much you hustle, you'll never catch up to that infinite righteousness and demand that God is seeking as equity that you might have peace with him. You are under works. Despite so many times you've heard the gospel, despite so many ordinances that you've, that you've uh, participated in, despite your pursuit of the law doggedly, you have not come to rest and the only righteousness that God provides, and that is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so what I'm saying is, the representatives of the state had utterly failed in this tutelage of law and gospel. And now they have no representative but Adam, and he will always lead them into death. But this government, of course, is very Presbyterian, and that's why we're saved. 
because Jesus represents us as a head of his church. These elders, though, as the, the, the figurative heads of the government, have utterly failed in, in Judah. The Jews' desire then was to rebel against Messiah. Jerusalem's leader had a long history. This is not a recent development. This is not something that happened in this generation. The Jews' leaders, I'm not saying every, I'm not saying every Jew that was born, we know there's righteous men that have lived and known God and enjoyed God. And we know that the nation of Israel had, had golden years, in fact. And that's so golden as to be perfect. And that's everywhere the testimony of the Bible. The people hated the, representat- the representatives of God. And, Jesus, and Jerusalem was, was famous for stoning God's messengers. That is to say, for declaring that they are not of God, that they're blasphemers, that they're worthy of death because they made them feel uncomfortable. Or they were trying to convince them that they were unrighteous. Or they spoke of repentance. Things that the natural mind, the sinful mind of men, loathe. And of course, the pride of these religious leaders is such that they will not be corrected anywhere, but especially not in public. And especially by this unschooled, uncouth, Jew from Galilee of all sorts, a stumbling block. And that's what we have here. Centuries of faithful witnesses going to God's people. That's the parable of of the tenants, unjust tenants. God kept sending the messengers, and in the last sermon we heard that God will continue to send messengers until the measure of wrath is filled up in that little cup the cup of Judah. And here now Jerusalem then faced her final and definitive trial. Will they accept the son? Or will they break covenant? And that's, that's the arrangement. As long as they meekly submit and confess Jehovah to be their God, they're in the covenant. But if they reject God, you see, then they will be cut off, and that is what is threatened here. Jerusalem refused Messiah. They refused their king. They refused their kingdom under Jesus. They refused his teachings. They contradicted his, they hated his teachings. They hated his preaching. They hated his correction. They hated his reforms. We have the traditions of our people. Why, why, do, your, why do your disciples break tradition? Oh, no, well, why do your disciples break? break the law of God, the Word of God. They hate His authority because they thought that they had given them authority. I think a lot of people in the church think that, that they have given elders and ministers authority to preach, and that's not true. They have also agreed with God and the Holy Spirit and the graces accompanying and, and uh, other peer ministers that it seems like God is working in this person. And so that, that the Lord had granted them authority of office. But that is not a, a, a position to be manipulated. And the Jews thought they could manipulate Christ because he lacked the credentials. He didn't go to the right schools. He didn't have the right teachers. They rejected his authority. They rejected his person. All this, my friends, was predicted in the Old Testament. And so, my friends, we have to be very, very careful how we pr- listen to and read the prophetic word. The rejection of Christ the Messiah as the Son is very clear from Psalm 2. Why are the nations in tumult? The people's devising a vain thing. The 
The kings of the earth, the rulers, gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's break their fetters apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. But he in the heavens, he sits and laughs, and the Lord will have him in derision. And he says to them, as for me, I have set my king, I have planted my king upon Zion, my holy hill. The Lord will succeed in his mission, his, his kingdom mission. And all of this is predicted in the Old Testament. Jesus knows it. He's a student of Scripture, but Jesus is also the Son of God, and he knows it because it's the eternal will of God. And of course, when he mentions the hosannas that are required, the glad reception of Messiah that must be the confession and the meekness of every every converted uh, person. He's, he quotes from Psalm 118, uh, you'll remain this way until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, the rejection of Messiah was also in that very same Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is a marvelous thing in it in our eyes. How can this be? How can it be that the most precious thing of all, the most precious thing of all is the temple with its magnificence? But the most precious of the precious in the temple is the choice stone that held orthogonally all its virtues and all of its rightness. This one is choice. And how is it ironic that the Jews who so admired the outward forms of, re of religion would absolutely detest the most choice stone of God, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. But that was, that's there in Scripture. They should have known it. They, had, they should have been singing this perennially in their synagogues. And they were, and they didn't understand. So take care how you listen. If you don't suspect that you're listening badly, then you ought to begin that practice. You ought, to be, you ought to be asking the Lord, open, open our eyes and open our ears that we might behold, that we might behold all that you have for us in your law and in your gospel. You can't, you can't shut your eyes to anything. that you'd, You can't be selective in what you'd like. You can't say, well, I, I want to hear more of God's love. But this preacher, he just marches through the scriptures and he gives it all to us. And this last section, that was really especially odious. He's not going to build a church. He keeps preaching like that, and no one's going to come because all he says is God is angry with the wicked every day. Well, if that's what the passage says, that's what, that's what we have to preach, my friends. We have to learn to hate what God hates, sin. And we need to love what God loves, righteousness, faith, goodness. And we need to hate sin even if it's in our own members. We must learn to detest it. And if until we do, uh, Lord, I, I don't know that we'll ever be firmly planted and, con and confirmed, at least not to the point of our own good assurance. Take care how you listen. And uh, promptly, do not, do not delay obedience. Promptly obey and repent. The last point is that the Jews will remain devastated. They'll remain in, in a state of complete annihilation and breakage and destruction until they do repent. This is God's decree. It cannot be changed. God will not be manipulated by much prayer, by much contrition, by much penance, nothing. 
And this is also by not only God's decree, but, but Jesus' prophetic judgment, which he's the prophet and he cannot err. The desolation was to the elect in that nation, because God has children everywhere. They were Jews there. They were still children of God. This was for their chastening and their perfection. They would suffer along with their neighbors that were unconverted. When a city like Jerusalem goes down, everyone is hurt, whether they are guilty before God or not. Babies get hurt. Babies will die. I will read from you uh, from Josephus, the history of the Jewish people. It's devastation. Their desolation was for chastening and perfecting of the saints, but also judgment upon especially the leaders. Jesus here says that the fleshly house of David would remain empty. That's, that's to say that the, the, the line of David of the succession of kings promised comes to an end because it comes to fulfillment in Jesus. Having re, uh, rejected Jesus, they rejected the whole line of the divinic uh, succession of kings. The, the, the kingdom, it's gone. Their desolation would be complete. Their house would be, remained, would, would be desolate. But then the physical house of God in Jerusalem would also remain desolate. It would remain empty. And you know, the, when, it was, when it was dedicated, when it was, when it was uh, finished, the construction was finished and it was dedicated, the glory of the Lord descended and filled the temple so that the priests had to, they, they couldn't abide in there for the glory of it. The, the, the Shekinah glory, the cloud, enveloped every nook and cranny of God's house. It was like the, it was manifest that God was with them in this theophany. But their desolation now would be that that house would be, remain empty. And we'll speak more of the symbology of that in uh, the next couple of sermons, in the morning sermons. Jerusalem would remain devastated until they repented, which is, of course, what God demands of every sinner, whether individually or uh, together in aggregate. Jerusalem then again re uh, representing the whole of the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. Uh, by the way, the covenant would be subscribed or uh, the covenant would be enjoined mostly uh, in a representative in a very Presbyterian way by the mouth uh, of, of the leaders. And sometimes it involved the whole congregation saying, amen, so be it. Uh, yes, we will, we, we will be the Lord's people. Sometimes by representation, uh, such as the uh, the meal that the elders had with God on Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses presiding there with Aaron. God met them there. That was Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then please come on Sunday evenings for the, the preaching series on Exodus. But uh, Jerusalem uh, <clears throat> would remain devastated until they received their Messiah. Now, of course, we have a, a city named Jerusalem, so what do we mean by that? Jerusalem is the people of God. Jerusalem as that emblem of God's city <clears throat> where he's, it is a city truly of peace and uh, the, uh, in ideologically the, uh, it, it would be Zion, the, the city of our God. Uh, Jerusalem would remain devastated um, and uh, <clears throat> they, need to, they need to be announcing Jesus and welcoming him, welcoming him even as the children had done in his triumphal entry mounted meekly on a colt, Matthew 21. Uh, again, you can review that, the 21st chapter, his, his triumphal entry. That's, that's what's required. That, that, 
the thing, the very thing that the Jewish authorities rebuked Jesus uh, for, because he was he was not silencing these people, saying these people are blaspheming. They're welcoming you as the king. What? And the children are they need they need schooling. These children are are so wrong. Everybody's going to get the wrong impression. The whole city's in an uproar over what you've done here. And Jesus says, you, you, you guys have never read Scripture, have you? You guys have never read Scripture. From the mouth of, of infants and nursing babes, you've established praise. Wow. Is that, not, is that not a correction and a shaming of the proud and arrogant? How will the Jews escape the wrath and curse of God due for sin? I just told you, by receiving their Messiah. And this always involves faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance unto life with the diligent, with the diligent use of, of all the means of grace, the ordinances by which God in Christ gives us the benefits of the covenant of grace, of his, of his gracious, gracious mediation. One soul at a time, the Jews are coming into the church. The gospel is going out. Jews who are Jews uh, by blood, or at least named Jews by ethnicity or some sort of background, are coming. And Second Peter 3.9 says that God is patient with us, forbearing and holding back, holding back judgment, holding back, although he could annihilate any one of us because we're sinners, even before we reach our breakfast table, we could be dead, and he could not be faulted because we are truly sinful and truly merit God's judgment. But he holds back until, he says there in Second Peter 3 and verse 9, until all reach repentance. Repentance and remission of sins go hand in hand. That's the gospel. The gospel promises that he will forgive, remit, take away sin when he sees that contrition and faith in him, all right, and turning to him. One soul at a time, they are coming into the church, Jews, throughout all the church age, since the time of Jesus. And one soul in aggregate with other souls, perhaps in a great revival. We don't know. God can do all manner of things as he did in Pentecost there in Jerusalem in A.D. 30. Um, anyone who sees the glory of Jesus, Messiah, with eyes of faith, enter into the kingdom. And having seen the kingdom and the, the beauty and the majesty of the king, having seen the, the meekness and the mercy of Christ and his love, his, his love, the love of a mother hen, wanting to gather you, wanting to protect you, pledging himself to you, offering you shade and keeping you with his very life. The mother hen will defend the chicks to the very life against all manner of foxes and wolves. I've never seen a bird peck so hard. That's what Jesus will do for you. But when you see with eyes of faith the loveliness of the Savior, it is irresistible. If you, if you really see him, then you will see all of his benefits. And you will see his benefits in the ordinances. And you will see his benefits in the promises. And you will gladly leave the, the dead works and, and, and but turn to God and, and, and enjoy a close walk with him. And my friends, that turning is called repentance. You have to be a devil to fight repentance. A devil. God can engraft Israel back into his favor anytime. 
He can engraft, he can engraft Israel back into the root of Jesse. You can read that. Paul says, and that's what he can do very easily. If we who are wild branches have been grafted into uh, the domestic tree, which is the, the promised root of, De- of David, the olive tree, if we being wild were, were, were able to be situated and engrafted into that tree, how much more the natural branches that, that belong there anyway? And these are the natural branches, and they, the Lord will engraft them in his own way, in his own time. But always by faith, always by the gospel, and there's no, there's no dual ladder to heaven. There's no Jewish uh, salvation today and a Christian salvation today. I don't know what we're doing with these national prayer breakfasts where we affirm that Jews are heard by God by their Jewish faith. I mean, God, God hears prayer, but, but he's not honored. He's, he's, he doesn't pledge himself to answer them salvifically at all except in the name of Jesus. That's the only way men and women, boys and girls, can pray to the only God. But, but God can engraft them by faith, and he can grant faith. He can grant repentance to Israel again. And God is able to do this easily because he is God. But, my friends, not, not, he will not do this with Israel when Christ comes again when he returns in the clouds. There's just a lot of bad theology up there. Why, why am I so very confident that the Jews will not be restored when they physically see with their physical eyes the Savior return on the clouds? Well, because sight is not a faith. And salvation has been by faith from the very, from the very sight, from the very word of the beginning of the Bible, from the fall of Adam. In fact, <laughs> sight is what killed Adam. He lusted after the tree that was forbidden. Faith trusts in what God promises as yet unseen, life, eternal life, and friendship with the Father. God will engraft Israel by faith, not when Jesus is, is revealed in the clouds. It's too late. There's no faith there. And so what I'm saying is today, today when Jesus is still seated at the right hand of God uh, in heaven, when he's, he's still gathering his children from all the nations. He's still perfecting his saints in the church. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you are to look with faith to the Savior, to look up and receive the salvation of God. And not that day. This is the day of salvation. That day is the, the day of salvation where all of the people of God will be, that, are, that are saved will be shown their inheritance. But today is the day of salvation. That day was to be the, the day of judgment. And God will judge all men, all women that have ever lived in one, sit, in one standing, Jews and Gentiles alike, according to the laws he met it out and according to their works in the flesh. And the saints will receive a, a gracious judgment because their works were wrought in Christ and they were filtered through the blood of Christ. And they were always pleasing to God in Christ, though in themselves they are polluted, they are corrupted because of the proximity of the flesh. That's another sermon. But my friends, we are to avoid speculation on the time of Jesus' return and the seasons and the particulars uh, that the Jewish nation uh, will, uh, will, uh, will fill out in those days. What, the, the, there's much here that remains secret in the decree of God. We don't know timelines and national timelines. We have very few things that we really agree to 
as Presbyterians and Reformed regarding the last days, you know, the resurrection of the dead, the return of Christ, uh, eternal judgment, heaven and earth, the preaching of the, of, of the Word of God, the gospel unto the last day that characterizes the end times. We, 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 see, we say very little regarding eschatology, and yet books just, they just, they, they just continue to fill out the shelves. All manner of, el, of el, just ornate, ornate structures and timelines and stuff like that. Uh, look, look, the simplicity in Christ is so refreshing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation, and he offers salvation to all who do it. And my friends, it's a great evil and a great deception to affirm any Jew in their faith as having a saving faith. That's the kiss of death. You got COVID, you want to smack somebody in the lips, and, and go ahead and share your COVID. That's what you're doing spiritually to a person. If you see a Jew, say, well, that's so great, and we all have the same God. And you know Jesus is a Jew. We can't do that to our neighbor. We must love our neighbor. We must love, lament that they're not in Christ. We must love them and tell them the truth. We must hope to the end, not knowing God's secret will, but knowing and firmly standing that those who do turn do have eternal life because Jesus is that life. Let me bring this preaching to a conclusion. Neither God nor Jesus takes pleasure in destroying wicked sinners. Nevertheless, without faith in Messiah Jesus and turning from dead works onto life, without Jesus and without turning, no one will see life. No one will be saved. Uh, and that includes everyone here in the room. We're not about external religion. We're about spiritual engagement and truth. The Jews will remain in a state of devastation. They will remain that way apart from God until they see their great error. And, uh, and they welcome Messiah sincerely by faith. And my friends, we see here many things, uh, many mysteries, uh, free will, responsibility, all that. Uh, this is not a philosophy class. The Lord gives us these things that are revealed. They're for us and for our children. The, hid the hidden things are for God. They're secret. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. You are not to meddle but you are to study the Word of God and not fight it. Now, God is not to be blamed for someone who is, does not come to the faith. You see Jesus' heart. You see his agony. And so, my friends, let's cease from, from blaming God. God is not at fault. He is not the, he does not, he's not the author of sin, and neither does he uh, delight in the death of the wicked. You should be looking at, rather, my friends, to, to means, ordinances, statutes, commandments, promises. You should be looking to those and not to mysteries. Study those, not things that are dark and really, and I think, unfathomable to, to find a solution. Look to preaching. Look to evangelism. Look, look to prayer. Look, Look for loving your neighbor in hospitality. Look, look for signs of repentance and new obedience to the whole will of God. That's what you should be looking for. Do you ever weep for the lost? When was the last time you wept? I mean, the, the world is, is, is outlined for us here as a difficult place, a weary place, a painful place. We're promised heaven as a place where there'll be no more tears. 
Uh, some of us, I, I fear, are far too comfortable in the valley of tears. But especially regarding the lost, do you not pity your own flesh? They are, they are sons of Adam as you are. Pity, weep for the lost, pray, intercede, and then as opportunity arises, grant them the gospel, the saving word. Don't write them off as reprobate. Don't be quick to pronounce judgment. Withhold judgment. Be quick to hear, quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Honor all men. Seek their welfare. Befriend them. But don't join them. Don't, don't join with them in their wickedness. But certainly you can be among them in the, in the softball leagues and in the basketball leagues and go shopping with your neighbor. You can help them out. And mow their lawn, whatever. Are you secretly are you secretly pleased or perhaps even openly pleased with calamities of the death of the wicked? Uh, it would seem to me here, the teaching of Scripture, that that is, not, that is not the will of God. Luke 9, verse 52 through 56, Jesus sent messengers ahead of them who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for them. The people did not receive him because his face was set to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, uh, do you want us to, to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and re re rebuked them. He turned and rebuked them. They went on to another village. He says, this is not the Spirit of God. This is not the Spirit of God. We've become very smug in our, in our little reform circles. Uh, we don't have to go too far, do we, because this is so comfortable but love to God and neighbor will have us do otherwise. Believe the gospel in sincerity. Turn, lest your house too will also be left in desolation. My friends, the, the gospel is plain. It's, so, it's there. It's, in fact, it's a positive law, and all positive laws are simply, simply stated. Uh, because they, uh, we, need, we need to make sure that the, the law of the gospel, that is to say the proclamation in terms of God's salvation, are so crystal clear that it shows his preeminence in setting this simple rule, believe and be saved, believe on this Messiah. It's so simple as to hold anyone inexcusable for turning away from this great salvation. Enter into it today. Enter into the, 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 the loving embrace, the protective wings of Christ, and know for sure that if there's any confusion, any doubt that he does not love you, he lays his heart on the line here, saying, I'm as a hen. I have labored. I have sought you. I have called you. I will protect you. Let's not hear anyone fail this as the Jews did and Jesus said but you would not you would not let's pray Lord save us from ourselves we are our own worst enemy we thank you that we have a friend in Christ a, a sure help a mediator and we pray Lord that your kingdom would come and that it would come in, with all the benefits that are us, ours in Christ all gifts, all graces, all offices, all privileges, every hope, every longing. And we pray that we would see Christ as the one who has loved us unto death, a, a one greater than Solomon with, with a Shulamite woman. 
And thank you, Lord, that you have loved your people so much that you continually, year after year and age after age, sent holy men with your very word, your sure word. We pray that you will, we will always prize that word and we would prize it not from the hands of men, but as it were from your very lips, from the very heart of God. Give us this confident, Lord, that you are our Savior, and it's all because of your love and because of all your tender care for your people. And we bless you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have an offering, please. Thank you. 